Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. It's become commonplace for cyber threats and attacks to make their way into mainstream media, and we're seeing increasing numbers of these reports. I'm sure we all remember the cyber attack earlier this year on Colonial Pipeline, the largest oil product pipeline operator in the United States. Ransomware attack, this ransomware attack led Colonial to shut down its pipeline for six days in May and led to gas shortages along the East Coast. To get their operations back up, Colonial paid the hackers a $4.4 million ransom. Cyber criminals attack individuals as well. And many of us have been direct targets of some version of cyber attack or know people who have. Cyber attacks hurt our wallets, but they also threaten our health and safety as cyber criminals target healthcare and infrastructure facilities. As our society becomes more dependent upon technology, cyber threats will only increase. Indeed, one study found a 400% increase in cyber crime in 2019 and 2020. It's incumbent upon all of us, individuals, businesses, governments, to take cybersecurity seriously. On today's show, which is taking place during Cybersecurity Month, we're going to talk about cyber threats, cybersecurity, and how we can all do a better job of protecting ourselves. And how we can all do a better job of protecting ourselves. Joining us for this discussion is Anthony Hendricks. Anthony Hendricks is a legal problem solver and litigator at Crow and Dunleavy in its Oklahoma City office, and he's chair of the firm's Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Practice Group. Attorney Hendricks teaches cybersecurity law and information privacy classes at Oklahoma City University School of Law and is a cybersecurity policy fellow in New America's Cybersecurity Initiative. He also hosts Nothing About You Says Computer Technology, a weekly podcast on cybersecurity and data privacy viewed through the lens of diverse voices. Attorney Hendricks, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. So we're going to start with your, your background and how you became interested in cybersecurity law. Sure. Uh, my name is Anthony Hendricks. Uh, I grew up in Lawton, Oklahoma, which is a small town uh, in a state most people uh, have never visited. Uh, and so uh, I grew up in Lawton. And uh, then I went on to Howard University in Washington, D.C. I'm a proud Howard University graduate, and I stand in solidarity with the students currently protesting the administration. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be Howard University's first Marshall Scholar, and I studied at the London School of Economics for two years and received a master's uh, in politics and communication and a master's in public policy. Uh, I then went on to Harvard Law School, and after Harvard Law School, 
my mom called and said, it's time to come home. And so uh, I often tell people when they ask, uh, how did you end up back in Oklahoma? I tell them that my mom is the best recruiter in the country, better than John Calipari, uh, better than Nick Saban. Uh, I wish she would use her recruiting powers to get some defensive linemen for uh, the University of Oklahoma's uh, football team. Uh, but she recruited me and told me to come back home. And uh, I started my career at Crow and Dunleavy, where I still am. And I chair our cybersecurity practice group. So now your podcast, which is actually one of my favorite podcasts, and I listen to a lot of them, is titled Nothing About You Says Computer Technology. And it was interesting um, in, in listening to your first one, and you were talking about the reason behind that title. Can you share why you started this podcast and explain why it is that you chose that particular title? Sure, sure. Uh, so let's start with the title. The title is kind of a play on uh, the movie Kings of Comedy. Uh, there was a segment in there where Steve Harvey was uh, talking to a heckling fan. And the, the guy said that he was involved with computer school and computer technology. And Steve said, I know we're not supposed to say this about other black people, but nothing about you says computer or school. And so oftentimes when you are a person of color in the cybersecurity field, uh, there's not a lot of people who look like you and people are you know, really surprised to see a person of color. And so uh, I took that and I took, a, a, you know, another experience where someone uh, didn't expect me to be the cybersecurity professional uh, that was going to help them. And I took that and I used it as something positive to try to uh, present a platform for uh, younger people to learn about the field, uh, to get an introduction to the field, because if you're exposed to it, uh, then you're more likely to say, you know what, this is something I can do. And if you see someone that looks like you and talks like you and has some of those same experiences doing those things, you say, okay, I think I can do this too. And there's a space for me here. Well, you, you talk about the, uh, the absence of uh, African-Americans and uh, in this, uh, in this field. And, and I think that as I've moved around, uh, there seems to be uh, an aversion uh, by us uh, to getting in in involved uh, in, this, uh, in this field because of the perceived um, difficulty in mastering. Can you kind of talk about, you know, why there is seemingly this type of aversion uh, to uh, working in this uh, area or getting the, uh, the, the techniques down uh, to deal with uh, some of these issues? I think it's because people aren't exposed to the field. They don't know that there's all types of ways to be involved in the cybersecurity field uh, that don't require you to be a coder. They don't require you to have uh, super technical skills. You might have specialized skills, but not super technical skills. And people don't know that there are so many different ways to get involved in the field. They don't understand that uh, you can be successful in the field without having a college degree. You can get certain certificates and you can be very marketable in this field, in this industry. And I think the more we expose people to the various types of ways that they can be involved in cybersecurity, uh, they're more likely to say, okay, uh, I may not want to be a pen tester, uh, but this other area might be interesting to me. And this is something that I can do because there are people who are just like me uh, doing these types of things. But at the same time, though, it, th th this uh, area is so commonplace in our lives uh, that we are engaged in it oftentimes and not even being aware 
that we are engaged in it. Uh, can you kind of talk about, you know, some of the common uses or the common ways that cybersecurity uh, uh, impacts the average person on a day-to-day -day basis? So cybersecurity affects all of us. If you get an email from someone uh, and it may not be uh, the type of email that you were expecting, a suspicious looking email, and you decide not to click it, you have just done something great in cybersecurity. You've just protected yourself. You just protected maybe your company. If it's a work email, uh, oftentimes we get these text messages from random places with these links in them. Uh, and every time you choose not to click one of these strange things, you're protecting yourself. Uh, we live in a connected world. And so that's great that we're connected. But it also means that there are so many avenues for uh, bad actors, for bad guys, for criminal hackers uh, to expose us and try to take advantage of us. And so every day we make decisions that protect our security. And so we should all be aware of cybersecurity uh, because it protects us in this connected world. So you mentioned emails that we receive and you mentioned text messages that we received. Can you talk about some of the common ways in which individuals are targeted by cyber criminals? Sure, um, nine out of 10 uh, cybersecurity incidences and data breaches start from a phishing email. So this is an email that is pretending to be something else. So you may get an email from Netflix saying that you need to re-enter your payment information. And it looks like it's from Netflix, um, but it actually is not. It's from uh, bad actors who are trying to trick you into going to their website and entering your credit card information. So most cybersecurity incidences start with these type of fake emails. And so if we are cautious about how we interact with emails, if we're cautious on, on what we do when we receive a link, whether we click it or we, or we don't, uh, we can stop a number of these attacks because that's the most common way that they gain access uh, to our system and start uh, a cybersecurity incident. And one of the things I've noticed, and I, you know, try to stay abreast of cyber threats and like I follow your podcast and, and others as well, they are becoming very sophisticated, these phishing emails. It used to be that you could recognize them, you know, pretty easily if you were, you know, uh, being mindful. But even if you're being mindful now, I mean, they're putting graphics in the emails, um, what advice do you have for individuals to, um, like, should we just never click on a link in an email? What are your suggestions as the as a cybersecurity expert? Sure, there, there are some email safety tips that I always kind of stress for people. One is when you get an email from someone that provides a link, you should ask yourself, can I access this same information myself without clicking on the link? If they say you need to log into your Netflix account uh, to update your credit card information, you can just go to your own browser, enter your Netflix, uh, enter www.netflix.com and, and go in and check and see yourself. So a lot of times, if we just take one extra step, uh, we can protect ourselves. The next thing you should do is when you get an email that looks funny, I often say, uh, use the Tim rule. And the Tim rule is Tim is my neighbor at the office. And so when I get one of these emails that looks funny and I'm just like, well, this is, this, this is weird. Let me, let me go 
walk outside and, and ask Tim if he got this email too, because oftentimes uh, when you get these emails, they usually are sent to a number of different people. And so if you're getting like a mass email and your neighbor says, yeah, I got it too, then that's more than likely that it, it's something bad. Uh, the next thing you can do is be mindful of what information you share on the internet because there are these more targeted emails, these spear phishing emails uh, where they are targeting a specific person. And so, uh, you know, you have to be mindful of the information that you share because people may use that information uh, to target you. The next thing you should be aware of and kind of focused on uh, when you have these emails is if something bad happens, if you accidentally click on something, please don't bury your head in the sand. Now is the time for you to kind of react. Now is the time if you're at work and you clicked on something you shouldn't have, you need to start alerting people as soon as possible when your computer starts acting funny. Uh, employees are the number one source of providing information to their employer about potential cybersecurity incidences. And so you need to go ahead and say, hey, my computer's acting funny. Um, I may have clicked on something. Uh, please help me so that we can stop the situation from getting worse. Uh, and then finally, you just need to remember that mistakes happen. We're all human. Uh, our criminals are more and more sophisticated. And so we don't want to beat you down for making a mistake because everyone makes mistakes. And if we start beating people down for making mistakes, uh, then they are less likely to report an incident. They're, they're more likely to hide their mistake. Uh, they're more likely to be stressed out. And when people are stressed, when people are tired, uh, they make more mistakes and mistakes are how criminals take advantage of us. Well, Anthony, you know, during this uh, pandemic uh, shutdown, more and more people uh, have been glued uh, to the uh, internet uh, and uh, they receive uh, ads uh, uh, for shopping and uh, it becomes a, a proxy. Uh, now, since we can't go out uh, to the uh, mall, we use uh, the uh, internet uh, for that uh, purpose. We order food uh, through the, uh, the, the internet. And uh, so we get a lot of unsolicited advertisements that look good. How do we choose between the good, the bad, and the ugly? Sure, you should focus on going to reputable sites. Uh, if you see an advertisement for something and it's a site that you've heard of, uh, maybe not just click the ad, actually just go to the site yourself. Uh, you've been there before, you're kind of aware of it. You can also make informed decisions on how you receive ads by going to uh, certain websites and opting out of uh, certain cookies and certain advertisements. And so you'll see less advertisements if that's something you're worried about. Um, but I always say, uh, take one extra step. I know it's so convenient just to click on the ad when you see something. Just take that extra step. And because criminals know that everybody likes convenience. So you've mentioned and we'll, we'll explore the, the business um, environment in, in greater detail. But let me ask you, if someone is on their home computer and they're just you know doing homework and they click on one of these phishing links, what should they do at that point? So all of these links are, are different. So sometimes you click on a link and it takes you to a website and they ask for your information. So now you have a second chance. Don't enter your information. Don't enter your credit card information. Uh, other times you may click a link and that already starts to exploit. And now uh, you're, you're dealing with some issues. 
And, and so for that, um, hopefully you have some antivirus software uh, that's been updated uh, that may give you some additional protection. Uh, other times you may not even have that type of protection. And so then you're just gonna have to take it to a computer expert uh, and you know, then you start the process of protecting yourself by calling your credit card company. If, if you entered in your credit card information, uh, you can go and uh, uh, you, you know, alert law enforcement to potential issues because if it's targeting you, it's likely targeting other people in your community. And so those are some things that you can do if the worst happens, if you've made a mistake. This is the uh, Legal Eagle Review, and uh, we're talking about uh, cybersecurity uh, this evening, trying to uh, help you uh, to understand this uh, wide area of uh, interactions that we have over the uh, internet, and we're trying to learn something uh, as well. But we have an expert in this area, attorney uh, Anthony uh, Hendricks, uh, who is uh, involved in the practice of law, dealing with uh, cybersecurity all the way in uh, Oklahoma. And uh, he has joined us to uh, talk about uh, this topic. We're going to take our break right now. I want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this discussion. So hang on and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and I'm here to give you some insight on cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is the practice of defending computers, servers, mobile devices, electronic systems, networks, and data from malicious attacks. Types of cyber threats include cybercrime, which includes single actors or groups targeting systems for financial gain or to cause a disruption, cyber attacks that often involve politically motivated information gathering, or cyber terrorism that is intended to undermine electronic systems to cause panic or fear. Privacy laws and cybersecurity statutes, like the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, including the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act and the Stored Communications Act, the Critical Infrastructure Provisions of the Homeland Security Act, the Cybersecurity Information Sharing of 2015, and the Federal Trade Commission Act have been put into practice by legislators to deter malicious cyber attacks. My name is Caitlin Chesney. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And this is your community event spotlight. Are you looking for something to do in Durham? Check out the Civil Rights Legacy Downtown Durham Walking Tour. This event is held every third Saturday at 10 a.m. from now until November 20th. The tour is a great way to learn about the rich history of African Americans in the city of Durham. You can find more details about this event and register at discoverdurham.com slash events. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your community event spotlight. Thank you. All right, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us uh, this evening. We are talking about uh, cybersecurity, and it is a fear that uh, many of us have as we operate on the uh, internet, and the internet operates on us. 
Uh, we have uh, an expert in cybersecurity that we're talking with uh, this evening, attorney uh, Anthony Hendricks, who is with the uh, uh, law firm of uh, Crow and Dunleavy out in uh, Oklahoma City. And he is uh, one of the few African-American experts uh, in, uh, in this area. And we are so appreciative of him taking time out of his busy schedule to share uh, with us. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, that, that we see as a target for a lot of this cybersecurity uh, is um, uh, elderly uh, people. Uh, can you kind of talk about the targeting of uh, older people and their vulnerability uh, to uh, be victimized by uh, uh, these uh, scams that are regularly being uh, focused upon uh, that, uh, that uh, segment of our community? Uh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of times our cyber criminals, our scammers, uh, they look for easy targets where they can get uh, money from uh, from the victims very quickly. And, and so they target, you know, a number of different groups. And one of those groups uh, are elders. And, and so a lot of times the reason that they focus on that group is because uh, a lot of our seniors are maybe not as comfortable with technology. Uh, they're not paying attention to what the current trends are uh, related to scams, related to cybersecurity issues. And so that makes them a easier target than somebody who is paying attention to uh, what is going on uh, in the field of cybersecurity or what current scams there are. And, and so they're going to focus on our elders just because they may not be as comfortable with technology and they may not know what's, go what's going on in the current trends. And so it's important when we talk about cybersecurity issues, when we talk about cybersecurity stories, that everybody pays attention to what's going on. Uh, as Jay-Z said, Hope did that, so hopefully you wouldn't have to go through that. And so I always stress that when there is a cybersecurity incident, we need to learn from that so that we won't go through that. And, and so it's important for everyone to pay attention because our criminals focus on the fact that people aren't paying attention to what's going on. And that makes groups more vulnerable. And, and another way that we can help our elders is to encourage them to use technology more and more, to try out things, to ask questions, to learn as much as they can about the technology that they do. Uh, and then to uh, be cautious just on the internet, to be cautious uh, when you receive a fake uh, phishing email or a phishing text message it, uh, saying that they are a relative of yours or that they have one of your relatives in a bad situation, you should pick up the phone and you should call uh, that member of the family. Call them on the phone so that you can talk to them and make sure that they're okay uh, so that you are less likely uh, to be a victim to one of these scams. How, how, how are they able to identify us in the first place uh, to direct these messages uh, to us, no matter what category we're in, they always seem to have precise information uh, that allows them to make the contact with us. So where do they get that from? Uh, so they get the information from all types of places. They get it from uh, searching just on the internet to find out information about people. Uh, they look at people's LinkedIn profiles. Uh, they look at previous data breaches where a list of email addresses are exposed. Uh, they scrape information from the internet, from websites, from Facebook uh, to gather as much information. So the, the information is out there. And so they're going to gather that. And then other times they send something that's just kind of generic. Uh, 
It's a generic message that goes to many, many people, but because it's so generic, it kind of fits everyone. So everyone's thinking that, oh, they're targeting, especially me, they're targeting uh, just me when no, they sent this email to, uh, you know, 10,000 people. Uh, but it's so general that people will just click on it and think that it's uh, directed just to them. So one thing you just mentioned is uh, data breaches, previous data breaches, people's privacy and information already being out there on the web. And some of these breaches have involved folks and their passwords. Can you talk about the danger of reusing passwords or not changing your passwords regularly? So password hygiene is really important. I always stress to people, please don't be dirty. Please have password hygiene. Uh, and so what I mean by that is you shouldn't recycle passwords. Oftentimes people will reuse a password and it will have devastating consequences. Earlier you talked about Colonial Pipeline. Uh, with Colonial Pipeline, it was actually because an employee had a recycled password. They had a password that they used on another account that account was breached. So their password was just laying on the internet on the dark web. Someone grabbed it and they said, okay, most people recycle their passwords. So let me try this on other accounts that this person may have. And one account that they tried it on was that employee's work account. And now they have access to Colonial Pipeline system, all because someone recycled passwords. And I understand why people do it. it it's so hard to memorize a password. And so I always try to give people suggestions on how they can create a password that is more difficult, but also memorable. So think of your favorite verse from the Bible, your favorite verse from the Quran, your favorite Jay-Z lyric, something that's personalized just for you that you're going to remember. And then you can try certain capitalization tricks. Uh, you can also, and I, I, this is another thing that's pretty important, is to have multi-factor authentication. And so that means to have a second way uh, to verify that it is you who is logging on to the account. So you have your password that you enter, and then you may have uh, an app on your phone that sends you a notification to confirm that it's you, or, or you may have a physical key that you push the button to to confirm that it's you so that just in case something bad happens and someone gets your password, there's still that second way of confirming your identity that a cyber criminal is not going to have. They're not going to have uh, that access to uh, that second piece of authentication. And, and so you should kind of just view your password as something that needs to be updated regularly, something that needs to be complex, but complex enough for you to remember. And if you can't remember a password, then invest in a password management system. And that's just a system where uh, you store all your passwords in a app, uh, and you only have to remember one password, a master password that can be super complicated. And the great thing about a password manager is that it won't allow you to be dirty. It won't allow you to have the same password over and over again for every site. It's going to tell you, hey, password hygiene is important. So each password has to be different. Each password has to be complex. Uh, and they do that work for you. It also makes it easy for you to update your password every few months by just clicking a button for all of the various different sites uh, where you have your password stored. And so a password manager is really great uh, and something that people should look into, especially when you have a lot of accounts and it's hard for you to memorize a password. And then the most important thing with passwords is please do not write them down. 
please do not write them down. There are a lot of people who create perfect complex passwords and they are so complex that they don't remember them. And so what do they do? They write them down and they put it on a sticky note on their monitor. They put it on a sticky note under their keyboard. And now you have the most complex password ever that is easy to find if someone has access to your office. And so you are no longer safe. And so passwords are extremely important. And I think people just need to take uh, password management, password hygiene, very serious. But Anthony, you, you, you make it sound like password cleaning is a job. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be regularly engaged in this process. And then uh, there is this constant uh, changing of the password to be able to uh, protect uh, yourself. Uh, why, why doesn't that uh, uh, scare people away from doing exactly the kind of things that, uh, that you, you're talking about them needing to do? So protecting yourself uh, can seem hard and can seem cumbersome at first, but then it becomes a habit. It becomes something that you're just doing all the time without thinking. How many times have you walked the inside of your house and locked the door behind you and just not thought about locking the door behind you? It's just something automatically that you do. When you leave your house every day, you lock your door, but you don't think about it. Maybe the first couple of times when you first moved into your house, uh, you know, you were fidgeting with the lock and trying to figure it out and trying to uh, uh, lock your door. But now it's just something that you automatically do. When you get in the car, you put on your seatbelt. It's something that you automatically do. Uh, probably the first couple of times when uh, your parents told you when you were jumping in the car to put on your seatbelt, it was cumbersome. You're trying to do it, and it. But now it's just second nature. And so once you start doing these things, once you start taking password hygiene and password safety seriously, the first couple of times, you know, you're going to have to think about it, but now you're doing this without thinking, uh, you know, and that's why I also suggested a password manager, which makes things just so much more easier. Uh, and so if you know that you're not going to be the person who's going to uh, create a complex password that they can actually memorize, that they're not going to create different passwords for all of their sites, then just invest in a password management system because it does a lot of the legwork for you. But the more you do this, the easier it becomes. It becomes second nature. Yeah, and I don't know how folks do it without a password management system because we all have multiple logins and every every account has to have a different password and it has to be changed regularly and it has to be complex. And once you get, well, I speak for myself, once I get past three, there's no way that I'm going to remember it all. So the password management systems, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, I think everyone should really seriously consider investing um, in them. There are, you know, several products out there, but um, it's really important. And to Irv's point about the elderly, uh, I recently set my dad up with a password, password management system. Um, I won't tell you... Um, what rules of the many that you talked about, Anthony, he was breaking, but we had a conversation. He was really appreciative of this solution and I feel better. He feels better. And that's what we need to do is, is to communicate this to those people in our lives. Um, Anthony, you mentioned that Colonial Pipeline, that that breach occurred because there was an employee that had reused their password. 
are businesses doing enough to make sure that their businesses are protected? So businesses are trying. There, there's, there's not a lot of businesses out there that are just like, you know what, we're just not going to do anything. It's just vibes. Like we're just going to hang out and see what happens. Uh, so companies are putting their best foot forward. But I think a lot of times, uh, because there's so much information out there, there's so many things that they could be doing, that they're picking the wrong types of solutions. Uh, they're not training their employees the right way. And so what do I mean by training employees the right way? Your training should be focused on the actual task that your employee does. It should be very specific to them because our cyber criminals are going to target employees based on what they do. Uh, you know, if someone works in the accounting department, their training should be different than someone who's an executive assistant. Uh, you should also focus on training employees in a way that people memorize information. Uh, so oftentimes studies have shown that people will forget about half of new information that they hear uh, an hour later. Uh, studies have also shown that after you tell people six to nine new pieces of information, uh, their memorization drops dramatically any more, piece, any more new information you try to give them. And so knowing how people think, you should change your training based on how people think. Give them shorter trainings that are focused on their job and their responsibilities. Uh, when you go out and you seek for vendors uh, to provide you with uh, you know, cybersecurity tools for your company, you should be focused on the actual risk that your company faces and not just the newest tool or an incident where someone is giving you a great sales pitch. You should really focus on the things that are targeted for your business to help your business so that when you make these investments, they are useful. And so a lot of companies are making investments, but not all of the investments that they make are the right ones for their business and the right ones for their employees. I know a lot of folks um, complain about the two-factor authentication. They complain about having to um, you know, change their password on a regular basis within the work environment. Do you think that... Um, we're doing a, a good enough job of instilling a culture of cybersecurity, a culture of understanding the need, because if you can get your employees to better understand it, then that trickles down into private lives. And when you understand in, in your private lives why it's so important, then that trickles into the business environment as well. How can we do a better job of building this culture of awareness and security? Sure. I think people need to understand that people are more likely to follow rules that are simple and that make sense. And so anytime that you present a rule, anytime that you're trying to get people to do stuff, you should remember that your rule needs to be simple so that people understand it and it needs to make sense. People shouldn't be leaving a training and being like, why are we doing this? They should know. And so building a culture of a culture that takes cybersecurity seriously uh, means that we need to start at the top with our leadership. Our leadership needs to take cybersecurity seriously. And when I say taking cybersecurity seriously, I mean that they should understand the importance of cybersecurity, not after an incident, but every day. Uh, you should focus on the type of risk that your business faces and then explain that risk to employees and tell them how the rules that you have fit that risk, help reduce that risk. There have been recent studies that have asked employees about what risk uh, 
security risk their company faces was the biggest security risk. And about 15% of employees said that it was physical theft. And for most companies, it's not physical theft. It's uh, data privacy issues. And so if employees understand what the risks are, they are more likely to follow the rules that relate to that specific risk. And so the employees who thought that physical theft was a big security risk, they followed all the physical safety theft rules in place, but they didn't follow any of the other ones. And so if we can get people to understand what risk their company is facing and tell them how the rules apply and help reduce this risk, they're more likely to follow the risk. They're more likely to follow the rules and they're more likely to help their company be safe. Well, what, about right. the, what about the government? I, I guess we're going to have to take a break uh, right now. So uh, we're going to do that and uh, we'll get back to my question uh, as soon as uh, we come back. But we're continuing our discussion with uh, Anthony uh, Hendricks, uh, who is a uh, cybersecurity uh, expert. And uh, stay with us as we continue this very uh, useful conversation. So we'll be right back. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I am a current second-year law student at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Event Spotlight. On Tuesday, November 9th at 7 p.m., Gina Ray McNeil, Professor Emeritus of History at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and a scholar of African American and U.S. Constitutional History, will deliver the 2021 Dr. Sonia Hayes Stone Lecture. Professor McNeil is widely known for her American Bar Association prize-winning groundwork, Charles Hamilton Houston, and the struggle for civil rights, recognized as a definitive biography of Houston, Thurgood Marshall's forerunner, law school dean, and mentor. You may register at https colon forward slash forward slash all events dot n i n and by searching annual Dr. Sonia Hayes Stone Memorial Lecture. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your Community Event Spotlight. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review, where we're talking with uh, attorney Anthony uh, Hendricks. Uh, he is a cybersecurity uh, expert. Uh, he is uh, one of the uh, few African-Americans out there in this uh, land uh, with uh, this uh, expertise and is leading a, uh, a gigantic law firm there in uh, Oklahoma uh, through this uh, through this maze. And, and my question, as we were ending up our last segment was, uh, what about the government? Uh, we have uh, the uh, hacking of uh, some of the most, what we would think, secure agencies of our federal government by unknown sources and uh, such that uh, we are afraid to even go out and vote uh, because there's a fear of uh, there being some manipulation of the uh, of the ballot. Why is it that governmental agencies uh, have become so vulnerable uh, to these uh, to these hacks, where you would think that they would be more protected of the secrecy and propriety of the information uh, that uh, that they have? 
Sure. Government agencies have all types of information. They, they contain so much valuable information in them. So, of course, they're going to be targets of cyber criminals, cyber hackers. And, and, and so we should acknowledge that. And, and at the same time, while the U.S. has probably the best cyber capabilities offensively, um, because we are so connected, because we have so much freedom on the Internet, uh, we're also easier targets because everything is connected and, and everything has access. And, and so we do need to place a greater emphasis on protecting our critical infrastructures, uh, protecting our government uh, agencies because of the information that they um, information that they hold and the information that they maintain. Uh, and to do this, I think we need to have Congress, and I, I know that, that that sounds bad, but we need to have Congress do something. Uh, and, and so it can be small things. I know they're, they're focused on these larger things that they could be doing right now, but just small things such as uh, providing funding uh, to these agencies, creating cyber standards for these agencies and have them uh, be consistently checked. Uh, to make sure that they're doing the things that they say that they are doing. And then we also need to add funding to our state and local uh, governments, because those governments uh, don't have the budgets that our, our federal government has, and they are often a target. Uh, and, and so we need to protect them. As I know you mentioned earlier voting. And so when we vote, it's on a local level. It's your county. It's your uh, state level governments that are involved in this. And so we need to provide them funding and the tools that they need to protect us. But at the same time, we cannot live in fear. And so, sure, there, there may be people telling you that there, someone may be uh, attempting to uh, interfere with our election. Um, there, there's actually been no evidence that they've been successful. And so understanding that it means to go out and vote and go out and vote in numbers that cannot be manipulated, uh, not let someone discourage you from going out to vote because our voting systems are safe, our voting machines are safe. People are really putting an emphasis on protecting us. But at the same time, we need to provide resources to these county and state level governments so that they continue to do a good job for us. Now. You know, when we're talking about these uh, cyber attacks, the goal may be different depending on who the hacker is. So you could have someone who is or organizations who are seeking the data, the information. You could have those that are engaging in these attacks because they're trying to get a ransom paid. And you could have folks doing it for, you know, arguably um, reasons based on hacktivism. Uh, can you talk about the different motivations and how that may play a role in the response and the protection against these types of attacks? So there are different motivations for different types of attackers. And, and I think you kind of keyed on those exactly. Uh, they're motivated by different things. Some of them are motivated by money. Uh, some of them are motivated on gaining information. And some of them are motivated on, on political reasons. Uh, the protections in place should be the same no matter what their motivations are. Um, but after the worst happens, after something bad happens, uh, knowing their motivation can also help us in our investigation and help us in our response. 
For example, if they are after money, it is a ransomware attack, then having a backup that's separate from your system is important so that you're able to get your system back up and running. It's also important uh, when the government investigates uh, to seeing if they've asked for a ransom so that the government can use their advanced tools to attempt to track uh, the funds and maybe even recover some of the funds. They were able to recover some funds uh, for a colonial pipeline because they were able to track uh, the digital currency that was used. Uh, other times when we deal with hacktivists, uh, their goal is to take the information and then provide it to the public or provide it to journalists. And then we can have a conversation that's uh, a really important conversation. Sometimes the information that they're sharing is important. It's about a crime or about some type of issue. And then other times they're just trying to prove a point. And it becomes a question of, uh, we're encouraging people to commit a crime and what should we be doing with the, with the information that they gather? Should we be publishing this information? Uh, should we be telling them, you know, we're not gonna accept this type of information because uh, it was gathered by committing a crime. And so it, it's a different conversation that we need to have. Should only the people we like have privacy or should people who we don't like or people we disagree with, should they actually have privacy rights? And so that's a different conversation that needs to happen. When it comes to espionage, uh, I, I think it becomes a government issue and the government needs to take steps uh, to protect businesses uh, because of the theft of intellectual property, uh, to protect agencies for the theft of our, uh, our secrets uh, and our valuable information. Well, isn't, isn't the best defense to cyber uh, criminals uh, is to keep this information off the internet? So some information uh, you should try to, uh, you know, not have uh, on an outward facing site. Uh, certain information is important to, uh, you know, keep private. But at the same time, we live in a digital world. We live in a connected world. Uh, people are going to be on the internet. People are going to be putting information about themselves on the internet. And so I think we should focus on uh, dealing with the issues, understanding how the world works now, focusing on how people actually use the internet. People are going to post things. People are going to be excited about a, a new job. People are going to want to put pictures of their family on there. There is nothing that's going to stop my dad from not tagging me on a gazillion pictures, on articles, on just random things. They're, they're not going to stop him. And I, I can't tell him, hey, dad, you know, let's let's maybe, you know, uh, chill out on the Internet. Let's not. We're not going to stop him. And so knowing that, knowing how people use the Internet, knowing how people uh, uh, share information, I think we just need to focus on it from that way because we're, we're not going to stop people from posting things. I always tell people that they should be cautious about what information they share and how they share it. Uh, but that's a really, really hard, hard lesson and, and it really something that's difficult uh, to sink in with people. And so now that we know that, we just have to work around it. We have to understand that uh, we should be asking companies to keep information that they have on us in a safe way. Uh, they should consider encrypting the information as it sits in rest, uh, because uh, if we have it encrypted, uh, if something happens, if the worst happens, then it's not useful information for our attackers. And, and so 
we can't walk around telling people to not share things on the internet. I tried it. It does not work. And so we, we've just got to deal with the world that we have. You know, yeah, I had, uh, I'm sorry, go on, April. No, I was just going to say to that point and, and the young people, it's like they are growing up where having a phone or some type of digital device and being connected is like second nature. My, my kids interact with the internet and, and their devices in a way that is still new to me. And so this is, as far as the data being out there, yeah, it's, it's absolutely going to um, continue. Um, but go ahead, Irv, with your your Yeah, well, and, 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 and I was, you know, just thinking about the, uh, the convenience uh, that's uh, provided by the internet is something that lulls all of us into a sense of false security. I was uh, uh, riding with someone uh, who turned on the uh, GPS uh, to uh, get to a uh, specific uh, location that was directing them uh, by street and by uh, signal light. And I just thought, so wow, this, 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 somebody has the capacity to identify exactly where I am sitting right this very minute and direct me every tenth of a mile as to which turn to take, uh, how fast I'm going, that, that's a lot of information and it was convenient to follow the uh, direction. But who owns this information, uh, Anthony? Who's in control of uh, this information once it is gathered and stored? So that's the debate right now um, about what happens to your information that you provide to businesses uh, in order to use their services? How are they going to use this information? How long do they keep it? Uh, what do they do with it? Do the, are they allowed to sell it? Are they allowed to give it to other people? And so the answers are there, but the answers are in these uh, sometimes hard to read privacy agreements in terms of services. Uh, and, and so that's a, that's a current debate now. Uh, you see with the European Union, they have their privacy law that kind of explicitly gives people rights about what they can do with their information that they provide to businesses. California has uh, some type of version of that, that law as well. Uh, and then there are a lot of other states that have proposed multiple versions that give people greater rights to the information that they share with businesses. And some of them are pending. Some of them uh, uh, you know, have failed already in Oklahoma. Last uh, session, uh, our state legislator tried uh, to present a, a consumer protection law that would give us more rights on the information that we provide to businesses and what they can do with it. It ultimately failed, but fortunately, uh, they have uh, proposed the law again this session, and fingers crossed, uh, we'll have that law in place uh, to give us some more rights to the information that we give businesses so that we can really understand uh, what they're doing with that information, when we can get it back, how long they can keep it. We are able to make corrections to the information. And, and so uh, those are all great things. And hopefully uh, we can get some of those legislations in all of the states so that we all have rights to the information that we share with businesses. In talking with you this hour, what's abundantly clear is there's a lot of work to be done on multiple fronts. Can you talk about the need for cybersecurity professionals, not just lawyers, but folks in the cybersecurity space and advice for those who might be interested in uh, moving into this area, whether they be 
um, lawyers or not, or law students, or or those that have decided, um, you know, to forego higher education in the traditional sense. So we need cybersecurity professionals, not just businesses, but our country needs cybersecurity professionals. And the lack of having these professionals is a national security risk. We need to be able to protect our critical infrastructures. We need to be able to protect our country. Um, from a business standpoint, businesses need to uh, protect their businesses. And so they are constantly looking for cybersecurity professionals. Uh, if you go on to any job posting site, you will see so many job openings for cybersecurity professionals because we need them. Uh, for people who are interested in this field, uh, I think the first step is to uh, just start learning about all the different types of ways that you can be involved in cybersecurity. Reach out to cybersecurity professionals. While there aren't a large number of African-American uh, cybersecurity professionals were out there. Um, you know, you can go on to Twitter and you can do some searches and you can find a great community of cybersecurity professionals that you can engage with and that you can talk with. Uh, you can look on LinkedIn. You can look in for diverse cybersecurity groups uh, on the Internet, and they all they often have student discounts, student memberships so that you can join and you can meet other people and you can get mentors and you can learn about this field. Uh, the next thing to understand is that it is never too late to change careers. It is never too late to step in and start uh, in this industry. If you're interested in it, uh, you can make the transition if you want to. Uh, and, and you know there are resources out there. Uh, it may not be easy every day, but there are resources out there there are so many open jobs and opportunities for you to get involved. It is never too late for you to pivot into cybersecurity, pivot into technology. Uh, you can absolutely do it. You can absolutely do it. All right, that's great and very encouraging because yeah, if we don't get this under control, I think you're um, pointing out that this is a, a national security risk. Um, so economics aside, uh, as far as the safety and security of our country and our societies, um, and quite frankly, not just the United States, but the entire world, we need to make sure that we get this under control. This has been such a wonderful and rich and informative discussion. We can't thank you enough, um, Attorney Hendricks, for taking time out of what we know is an incredibly busy schedule for you. We are out of time, but we're going to um, go ahead and put a, a bugging your ear about having you back at some point as we continue to talk about these important topics. So we'd like to thank our guest, Anthony Hendricks. He is a lawyer and cybersecurity and data privacy expert at the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. And he is also the host of Nothing About You Says Computer Technology, a weekly podcast on cybersecurity and data privacy viewed through the lens of diverse voices. We'd also like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleagoreview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy and safe.